there is so much noise in our culture these days. There is so, so many talking heads, so many opportunities to believe this or believe that. Post this or share that. Fight about this, fight about that. And what I'm inviting us to do over this season that we're in every August where we have 21 days of prayer to break through the noise and listen to the voice of God. And not just listen to the voice of God, but pray breakthrough prayers. To pray some brave prayers and expect God to break through and show himself and reveal himself. We have not only been praying every morning, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. at our Lufkin and Nacogdoches location, but we're inviting you to, you can join us online too, but then Wednesday nights at 7 p.m., last Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, and next Wednesday at the Nacogdoches location, we are having our Closer Nights. And this coming Wednesday night at 7, at Closer Night, I'm going to give a real simple message, some handlebars on how to pray a breakthrough prayer. What is a breakthrough prayer? sound like? What are, the, what are the components of a breakthrough prayer? How do we see that biblically? Those uh, real life people in the Bible that were facing opposition, how did they pray persistently and consistently with fervent and effective prayers? How did they see those breakthroughs happen? We're going to be talking about that as we worship. We'll have extended worship and praise. This last Wednesday was like crazy good. And I invite you to be a part of what God is doing on Wednesday nights here at the Lufkin location this Wednesday and then Nacogdoches next Wednesday, August 19th. So starting on week two, uh, we're, answering, we're answering a question, but we have to talk about reality first. And here's reality. Let's recap from last week. Since creation, God desires to draw near to us. We are not, we are not reading a Bible that's a story about people trying to get close to God. We are reading the Bible that's a story about God who really wants to get close to people. That's what God does. That's how God interacts with us. But the issue, the protagonist is us. And since creation, we've been addicted to taking matters into our own hands. We want to say, God, you're drawing near, but I got this. God, I know you have a plan, but I got a plan too. God, I know that you want to be the king of my heart, but I'd rather kind of be the king. And sin is not the act you commit. Sin is the authority you reject. It's not that, it's not the fruit that Eve ate. It's the authority that Adam and Eve rejected. And since the garden, we've been wanting to take matters into our own hands. And so the question of the Bible, really, the question of the Bible, for a God who wants to draw near and is a holy God, and we want to take matters into our own hands, which brings us dirty hands, and we sin, and sin separates us from God, and we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, how? How are we, with all our sins and flaws, able to then stand in the presence of a holy God? It feels like the big man upstairs when we're separated like that. So throughout the Bible, God is going to show us how he's going to bridge the gap between God and man. It's the story of the Bible. And last week, we were in the book of Genesis with the, with the story of the character Jacob and how he wrestled with God and how he, it wasn't until he experienced some brokenness that he was ready for his breakthrough. And today, we're going to move beyond brokenness and we're going to talk about rebuilding for your breakthrough. We're going to go to a section of scripture in the Old Testament 
Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah in the modern Bibles would be two separate books. But when they were written, they were actually written all together by the same chronicler uh, who wrote First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And those books are part of the 12 books we call the historical books. Now, I'm not going to nerd you to death, okay? <laughs> Bible, archaeology. I'm not, I'm not going to nerd you to death. But, but in order to understand the story of God and why we even have the history books in the first place is because God is not just wanting us to know, you know, uh, Israel 101. He's not wanting us to understand, you know, Middle East culture uh, for beginners. He, he's, he's showing us how he's bringing us to a place that we realize, oh, that's what we've needed all along. But the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, the history, shows up. And here's the story that Ezra and Nehemiah is, is sharing with us. It's in this story that we, we meet up with the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And their capital city, Jerusalem, has been under siege, attacked, and conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And all of the Jews living in Jerusalem in that province, they are shackled and they are taken into captivity they become slaves and servants in Babylon. Some of the popular slaves in that era, you will read about Daniel, who was taken under Babylonian captivity. His, his three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We also call them Shachrach and Benny. Those three. We, we, we read about those stories of the fiery furnace. That's all happening when Jerusalem has been destroyed. Babylon is the conquering power. And is, the Israelites are living as captives, slaves, and servants. But it's in this story that 50 years pass and God moves on the heart of the king of Babylon to begin to allow the Jewish people to journey back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the ruined city. And so there are three key players in this whole story. Three key leaders that show up as the cream of the crop that are going to begin this rebuilding process. The first leader is Zerubbabel. Anybody name their kids Zerubbabel lately? That's a good one. I'd recommend it, okay? Zerubbabel. And you can call him Zerub for short, I guess. I don't know. So Zerubbabel, um, he, he's part of the, 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 the picture of Ezra and Nehemiah. Then about 70 years later... There's two other key leaders that show up, and that is, of course, Ezra and Nehemiah. So these three leaders, it's the story, the historical book of Ezra and Nehemiah talk about Zerubbabel and what he does, Ezra, what he does, and Nehemiah, what he does. They're all called to rebuild. They are rebuilding leaders. Zerubbabel is called, and he is going to rebuild the temple of God, the temple that's been destroyed. Ezra is going to rebuild the Torah which is the, the book of God, the five first books of the, of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, known as the Torah. Uh, he is going to begin to build more of the community of God in the Torah. And then Nehemiah has been called to rebuild the walls. Each one of these represent an attribute of God. The temple, this is how the Jewish people understood the presence of God. They would go to the priest. The priest would offer the sacrifice. There was a holy of holies, and it's within the temple that they would understand and experience the presence of God. The Torah was really the pathway to God. The only way to get to God would be a good Torah keeper, a law keeper, a law follower, a law abider. You do this, you do that, you keep in lockstep, 
And Ezra was called to make sure that the Torah was being educated, that the people of God were being educated. After all this craziness and slavery and servanthood and captivity, they had taken on all kinds of trades and customs and traditions of Babylonian culture. And it was time to be separated. Don't, you can live in the culture, but like, don't just like drink the Kool-Aid of the culture. And then Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and that was representing the power and the protection of God. A city was only as powerful as its walls. It was only as safe as the strength of its walls. It showed stability. It showed prominence. It showed power, even prestige. And Nehemiah is called by God to lead. Each one of these characters through this book of Ezra and Nehemiah each one of them experience opposition. They have opposing forces that want to push against them. They've got the heart. They've seen the brokenness. They're called to rebuild, but they face some trouble. Hello, you're going to face some trouble in the middle of breakthrough. Things ain't going ain't to just be uh, walk in the park, slow motion, Julie Andrews, sound of music. You're going to face some opposition before you get to your breakthrough. But I want you to know that God has planned breakthrough in your life. It may not be the breakthrough you're hoping to break through, but God is a God of breakthrough. Now, we don't have time to unpack all the nuances of Zerubbabel and the opposition, Ezra and his opposition, but what we are going to do is the rest of our time, we're going to take a, a little bit deeper dive. We're going we're going to dig deep into Nehemiah. I'm going I'm to lay out the story. And my, my goal on a Sunday morning is not to just uh, preach a sermon. My goal is to give you handlebars. There's no sense in taking this time and just, you know, giving you the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant without having some handlebars for like, you know, Thursday. Because Thursday is coming. And so is the boss on Monday. And so is the reality of life. And we want to take some handlebars, some application of Scripture to what God wants to do throughout our week. And so let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1. And we, we join up with Nehemiah and he begins to recount the story of rebuilding the walls that represent the power and the protection of God. You with me so far, everybody? Okay. So Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah, I, was at the fortress of Susa. Han and I one of my bros, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. It's a little reunion. They're, they're eating the turkey legs. Oh, it's great. It's round. They got the ale. You name it. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. How many of us have ever asked somebody this important question? How you doing? Right, And usually that important question that is very, very deep is one of the most shallow questions we ask these days. How you doing? And one of the most shallow answers we usually give, if we're being honest, I mean, I may have done this once or 19 times last week. How you doing? And we say, fine. When all hell is broken loose in your life. Fine, good. You don't have time to sit there and talk. Maybe you, they don't deserve the intimacy that the conversation is going to require. But how quickly do we kind of make small talk with things that really have the power to unlock some, some breakthrough in our lives? 
I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So if we're going to learn some lessons, look at this. He's curious about the condition of the city. Can I just offer you to find something else to say if you're not really curious about how things are? Just find something else to say. But if we can, if we can begin to uh, ask better questions, which was the content of Wednesday night's devotional of, of Closer Night, when we ask our kids better questions, we get better answers. How was school? Good. You, get a, you can get frustrated over that question or over that answer, but really it depends on your question. If you, a, if you ask a better question, you usually get a better answer. Hey, what were three things that you liked about today? What was one thing that bothered you about today? You're going to get a better answer if you ask a better question. He's curious, and he says, hey, tell me about how things are. And you know what they said? Fine. No, they didn't. They said, things are not going well, okay? Like you're, you're in the frozen food section at Walmart, and through their mouth, things are not going well, okay? I'm going to tell you right now. And you're like, oh, the bluebell's going to get cold, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. And here's the issue. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. Now I want to ask you a question. Let's apply it to our hearts. When's the last time you've asked yourself, how you doing? Let me take it a step further. A great question. A better question. How's my soul? How's my soul? I mean, how am I doing? I may be able to pay the bills right now. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm healthy. Maybe I haven't had the exposure that other people have had. Maybe things are okay. They're not great, but they're good. Okay, okay, be beyond all that. How's the condition of your heart? How, how's, my, how's my soul? Because write this down. You won't rebuild walls. If you don't know, they're in ruins. And I wonder how many of us, we just haven't taken the time to investigate the condition of our hearts. We haven't taken the moment. This is the power of prayer. This is the power of quiet time with God. Where we invite Jesus to, to let him be curious about the condition of our heart. And us be curious enough to invite him in to search our heart and to know our innermost thoughts and being. If you, want, you, will, you will not rebuild walls if you don't know they're in ruins. And you have to take a moment to just ask the questions. And so when Nehemiah finds out that the city is open for attack still, is still on fire, that there are, there are weeds growing up and around the altar in the temple that used to be the place they would meet God. Nehemiah responds. And here's how he responds. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. Now I know in this culture, there's a back and forth of what a, what a real man does or, or how we how we deal with our emotions. And I think we've been given a, a poor theology in church for many, many years on how to navigate our emotions. Oh, when, when we have something that's, that's broken, when, when, when we're driven by faith, many times people say, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm good. It's all good. Hey, how are you? I am. I'm great. I'm fine. No, you're not. You're not. You're not. 
I mean, things are like really bad right now. You're sick. No, 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 I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. Okay, okay, all right. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's unpack that for a second. Do you know that Abraham, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, says it like this? Abraham faced the facts. He was old. 70 plus. God says you're going to have kids. Abraham's like, <laughs> Sarah's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. But Paul says he faced the facts, but he still had faith in the promise of God. It is not a lack of faith to face facts. It is not a lack of faith to say, I'm sick. If God doesn't do something, I'm going to die. But I have faith. Like I got the privilege of sitting down with one of our senior saints this last week as she stays with her sister-in-law going through a very aggressive cancer. I said, how you doing? She says, it's a win-win. It's a win-win. If I'm healed, I win. If I'm in heaven, I win. She's facing the facts, but she's got faith. Faith, it's a win-win. But I wonder if we've had a poor theology that then we tuck away our emotions. We're not willing to deal with stuff and, and, and write this down. Before he labors, he laments. I know all of us are in the Lord's army and we want to do big things for God. We want to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. That's the four weeks of starting point. Maybe you just came out of starting point. Great. We want you to labor and be a part of a dream team and make the difference for the kingdom of God. But I can also tell you there are times where you need to slow down and stop and sit down and just cry about stuff. You know, there's a group that we have here uh, through Timber Creek called Grief Share. That before you can really get on with your life, you need to understand the power of grieving over something. Can I tell you, the moment COVID hit, we were averaging 2,400 people in attendance on a weekend. After COVID, when we started coming back, we were 600 people physically. 700. Online campus, very strong right now. God's been blessing in fact, through this pandemic and having less people, it has been like the less is more. God has blessed financially. There have been countless salvation. People coming off the road, as I mentioned last week in a devotional with the staff, people coming off the road on the way, on the way to work out, and God's compelling their heart to come in. They give their heart to Jesus last week. Got to see this guy again in the lobby just a few minutes ago. Second week in Timber Creek, giving his heart to the Lord. And just compelled by God to come in. He's going to use a pandemic to bring people back to him, everybody. I'm just letting you know. But as a, stat, as a leader, in the middle of all this, my first reaction Okay, how do, how do we build? How do we go completely digital? How do we do this? How do we safeguard this? How do we make sure that we have shored up our weakness here? And I was on labor mode. And a few weeks into it, I had to bring the staff together. And I said, I've, I've done a disservice to you. We've been laboring, but we haven't lamented. We haven't grieved. Because the church is not going to be the same right now. It's going to be different. And God was doing something amazing. But you know what? Although it looks different, God hasn't stopped doing amazing stuff. And even though there may not be as many people physically in the campus right now, I believe God is reset. God is resetting some things. He, 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 is, he is reconfiguring. He's defragging the hard drive. And it's time for him to do something amazing again. He's always on the move. It's just up to us to see it. 
But he also invites us, even through his son Jesus, when Jesus goes to heal Lazarus, the first thing he does isn't say, let me roll up my sleeves and roll away the stone and Lazarus, come on out, big guy. He weeps. He laments before he works a miracle. And I want to invite you that before you keep on working, trying to fix something, fix the marriage, fix this, can you back up and let your heart be tenderized to the voice of God? That maybe you need to just let, let those emotions, feel the emotions. Feel the emotions. There's a story about a missionary who's sent overseas and he writes a letter back to his mentor and he says, I've done everything. Revival services on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday prayer, uh, outreaches everywhere, grocery giveaways at the Luckin and Agadoches campus. And these people, they won't, they won't repent. They won't come to God. And his mentor sends him back a two-word response. Try weeping. Sometimes God just wants us to get in all the feels. <sighs> because then we realize how broken we are in the condition of the city and how much we need Jesus. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. So here's what he does. Here's his next step. After he laments, he goes to the true source. Now we're going to find out that Nehemiah is a leader. He has Authority. He has access to the throne room of the king of Babylon. He can go in and have a conversation with the king. They are on a uh, first-ish name basis. First name for the king for him, and he's still the king because, you know, I mean, he's the king. And I wonder when things go crazy, how quickly we go to whatever source we really think is the true source. I want to tell you, you show the true colors of who your true source is when the going gets tough. And we, 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 we go to politics. We go to addiction. We go to alcohol. We go to lust. We go to the shame in us. We go to all kinds of things when the going gets tough. And what does Nehemiah do? He goes to the true source. Even though he has access to the throne room of the king... He begins to pray. And he says, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Can I show you? That's a pattern. If you're trying to get to God by just obeying and being a good Christian and walking the tightrope of making sure you don't fall to the right or to the left and be a good Torah keeper, that you will be disappointed. It starts with loving him. It's through the love that we learn to obey. We love. You know, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. But with love and guidelines and rules, it leads to obedience. You know, if you're just a, you're going to just be that dad, you, you better do what I say. You want your teeth in your mouth or in your pocket. Now, you can, you can run a tight line in a tight house but I want to tell you, I'm learning. My kids don't obey me because I tell them to. They obey me because they love me. The more I love them and the more they love me, the more they trust what I say. And that's how God is too. He goes on to pray. He says, I confess. We confess our sins to God, but we confess to one another so that we're healed. I confess we've sinned against you, my own family and I. We've sinned. 
He says, please remember me, God, what you told your servant Moses. Now look, 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 everybody. Here's what you told your servant Moses back in the day before Jerusalem ever fell. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. Jerusalem didn't fall because God was asleep at the wheel. Jerusalem fell because the Jewish people kept on wanting to take matters into their own hands. They want that God was good to them, but then they, God, we got this. We got it. Thanks. Just kind of stand over there for a little bit. But he doesn't stop there about being scattered among the nations. He said, if you don't obey me, you'll be scattered. But, but if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then, now listen to this, this is good news for somebody out there today. Even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back. You may feel like you have done so much junk in your life. There's no way a God would ever love you again or give you a fifth or a 17th or a 423rd chance. But I'm here to tell you, no matter how far you've been exiled, God, since creation, draws near to you. He draws near. I'll bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. You, even in your deepest, darkest moments, can become someone who he brings back and gives honor to his name. So Nehemiah continues the prayer. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants. There is power in your personal prayer life. There is power in all of us getting together and praying together. Okay, look, we can't do Sundays without dream teamers. Dream teamers are the blood of this Sunday morning experience and other experiences. Dream teamers, our volunteer team. I, I can preach without a dream teamer. We can't do ministry, but let me tell you what I can't do without all of you. I can't pray enough prayers for this church by myself. I'm the pastor. And God's called me to be the, the key leader of this particular community of faith. But I can't pray enough prayers. I'm asking you. I'm asking you. Do what I can't do. I cannot pray for you. But join me. Join others. 6 a.m. on Monday through Friday. Online or here in the flesh. Join us Wednesday night at 7. Join us. Let's pray together. I cannot pray for you. But as we pray together, God does big breakthrough things. Nehemiah puts a cherry on top. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Although he knew the king, he understood the real source of power the king had. He's just a man. He's just a man. In November, we will just elect more men and women. The real power does not come from one side or the other, regardless of what you feel. The true source, there's one true source. You got you to get that right first. Get that first. It's all about Jesus. And he says this man, and he then shows us who he is in the story. I was the cupbearer to the king. So he had access all the time. And so we go to Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, Altima, in the 20... No, 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 it's not. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is not his name, like Joe or Bob. Artaxerxes is like Mr. President. It's a, it's a title. King Artaxerxes, like King Great Greatness, okay? King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, hey... How's it going? <laughs> you know, basically. How does, and he asks a better question. 
He asked, how you doing in the middle of Walmart? He says, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of, of heart. Hey, how you doing? Here's a better question. Hey, is everything okay? You don't seem to be yourself right now. Is everything okay? Better question. Now, I love this. I was very much afraid. Why? Because even though he's just a man, he's also the king, you know? And just know, like, you do something stupid in the, in the he may be like, <laughs> you're funny, or like, put a javelin through his neck. Like, he's the king. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. But why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? No offense, but you kind of like, you know, burned my house down and my ancestors' houses down. So like, you know, pardon me for bringing you your Merlot and being a little sad. Listen to this. The king said to me, what is it you want? And Nehemiah said, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. No, he did not do that. He said, Look at this. This is amazing. Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. This is what we call flare prayer. It's like, it's just like up there. It's like, it's like what, what the prophet, prophetess Carrie Underwood said in the song, Jesus, take the wheel. That's a flare prayer. Jesus, take the wheel. Like, that's a flare prayer. And he prays to the God of heaven, and he answers the king, I want to remind you, write it down. Prayer has to be our first response, not our last resort. Nehemiah is showing us this intentionality in his life. He's going to lament. Before he labors, he's going to pray. He's going to respond to the source first, the real source. I mean, he brings the cup to the king. The king can build and destroy, can kill and bring life, can decree, and in a moment change the whole culture. But he knows that there is a God of the ages that has got to be my first response. Not Facebook, not Snapchat, not the water cooler talk, not even the own negative self-talk that I let talk to myself in the mirror sometimes I got to go to my first response and that's Jesus every single time first response not our last resort and this is how Nehemiah responds he says if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it he's got clarity he's given the opportunity now be clear be clear with your requests be clear, right now we are addicted to certainty in this culture. Certainty on the effectiveness of masks. Certainty, and we debate it all day long. Certainty on this, on that. Certainty of how long is school going to last? How long until 84 things happen different than they're happening right now? We are addicted to certainty. And I'm just going to tell you, you've got to unbuckle from that certainty right now. Because you ain't going to get it. You're not going to be certain but what you can be clear on there's a difference between certainty and clarity i may not know what's going to happen next but i can be clear this is what god's calling me to do all right he's saying to you be strong and courageous worship me trust me lean not on your own understanding because you don't understand right now lean on me all your ways acknowledge me 
I'll make your path straight. I'm not necessarily going to tell you every single detail of where that path is going to go and what, what kind of side roads you're going to have to go on and what detours and where it's going to veer off, where it's going to become a four-lane and a two-lane, where you're going to have to change the whole vehicle structure and you have to get, get into an all-terrain vehicle and get out your Cadillac because you've been used to smooth sailing and ain't smooth sailing right now, and you're going to have to figure out how to even ride a hoverboard around the spiritual realities of this world right now. But I am going to give you clarity. Trust me. Trust me, trust me. And Nehemiah gives the king clarity. Send me, here's where I'm going, here's what I'm doing. Now, for those of you that, that, that have seen some of the story right there in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, the next line, then the king with the queen sitting beside him. That's an interesting little detail in scripture. Nothing's wasted in scripture. Do you know most scholars believe that the queen sitting beside him, there's no reason to mention the queen because the queen doesn't have any other say in this entire story, is never mentioned, not even mentioned by name. But the queen sitting beside him, most scholars believe, is a queen named Esther. That Esther, who fought for her people, the Jewish people, and had favor with the king, scholars believe that this is Esther. And so it gives us a little sneak peek that God is always maneuvering before you're even in this situation. He knows what's going on. He's going to put people in place. He's going to move the pieces on the chess board. You can trust him. And we believe this is part of why Artaxerxes, Mr. President, had such a openness to Nehemiah. The king asked me, well, how long will your journey take? When will you get back? Like, give me some specifics. Give me some details. And it pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. And here's what he does. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Can I just, can I just warn you? Be careful. There are some people you got to share things with, but be careful who you share your dreams with. Be, be careful who you, 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 you share all your, your stuff with. Be, be careful. Like Mary is visited by an angel and says, you're going to be pregnant with the son of God. You know what she did next? She did not post that on Facebook. She's going to get some comments. The Bible says Mary pondered those things in her heart. Be careful. Let it, let it marinate in you first before you start spouting it out. I hadn't told anybody. So by night, what I did is I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. His donkey, he could not get through. So just envision this. He's trying to go through the streets he used to know. And he comes around the corner where he's used to going down Main Street. And it's just a pile of rubble. And he can't even go down the road anymore. And so he has to circle back. And he looks at the houses that are soaked with ash. Goes around one gate and to the other. Goes over to the temple that's been started to be rebuilt. But there's still weeds in the sidewalk. I had to turn around and so I went out up the valley by night examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. Number four, he's thorough in his survey. Is there anything left unchecked in your heart right now? You may be a senior saint, but you, you, you've allowed criticism to become just part of the way you roll. 
you love Jesus and you worship him in spirit and truth, but you also, you worry so much. You just worry all the time. Let Jesus search your heart thoroughly, every road. Are you so reliant on your spouse that, that they're your source and not your savior? Be thorough. Be thorough, investigate. Allow this time of breakthrough as a season of a church and season of you to let Jesus be thorough in your heart. How's my soul, God? Will you show me? So then Nehemiah gets off his little tour, calls a town meeting with the nobles and the workers and the friends. He provides some donuts and coffee. And he says, hey, you see the trouble we're in. It's apparent. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come. I'm inviting you with me. Let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And we will no longer be in disgrace. Who's with me? It's this moment. Remember the titans, this music. Boom, 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 boom. We're going to rebuild the wall. Ba, ba, ba. Everybody stands up there clapping. <laughs> but here's the truth about it. He doesn't rebuild alone. You were meant not to do life alone. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be launching new groups multiple, dozens of places where you don't have to do life alone. From starting point to grow track, grow track, deepening your, your, your uh, Christ-like convictions and conduct and character. Encounter experiences on Sunday night where it's about understanding who we really are in Christ and kind of stepping away from some hand-me-downs that maybe you just like, your dad was like that and your mom was like that, but you don't have to be like that. It's just kind of handed down to you. And there's new freedom for you. Groups from studying in times to just playing games together, but like doing life together and asking the question, anything we can be praying about. Like don't, don't, don't rebuild alone. Have people in your corner. And you know what they do? The next line is this. The next spirit-empowered, spirit-breathed word of God says they began this good work. Wow. And they all lived happily ever after. Everything was great. They were blessed and highly favored. All they did was sing kumbaya and held hands. It was so cool. Like God was just like, it was just like, yes. No. They dealt with opposition. And you're, you're in the middle of not doing life alone and you're trying to rebuild. Opposition is a guarantee. Guarantee. And here we pick up some opposition that happens with Nehemiah. You would think that everybody would be in favor of rebuilding the city. But no. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates in the army of social media followers. Wait, wait, that's not, no. In the army of Samaria. But that's what we do, isn't it? We, we, we rally, we rally all those people on social media. I mean, come on, you've seen it. I'm so sick of this day. That's it. That's the only post. I'm so sick of this day. You're rallying your social media army. Girl, you got this. You're beautiful, though. I love those highlights. Why? Because we need, we need that. We, we need that. We're starved for that. And we need it. It happens. You may be guilty. I may be guilty. I don't know. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Right? He has other people start to join him. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Nobody said they were going to finish in a day. But that's how we criticize. 
We start putting words in the mouth of one side of the political party or the other. People that have an opinion or the other. People that have a different viewpoint of life or the other. And we put words in their mouths and we make assumptions and you know the results of all those things. (laughs) Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And now he gets like his friends all frenzied up and they're all twittering together. Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. It's like Jafar and Iago the parrot in Aladdin. It's like, even a fox. You You know what this is? This is hashtag ridiculous. Hashtag get a clue. Hashtag please pay attention to me when I'm posting these things on social media. This is hashtag usually the 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 seat usually this this the, usually these kind of posts point to my own insecurities that's really what they point to yes you're welcome america <laughs> and so it's not meant to be a slap on the wrist it's meant to be a an opportunity for you to be curious about the condition of your heart what's driving you or this fake you that you have digitally. Do you know what Nehemiah does? Nehemiah posts back. He Facebooks them back. He doesn't private message him. He says, yeah, your mama's so fat. Your mama's so ugly. No, no, he doesn't, he doesn't say that. Do you know, what, you, know what, you know what Nehemiah does? He goes to his first response, not his last resort. He prays again. Here, oh God, we're despised. But you know what? His prayer ain't like, his prayer a little salty. I ain't going to be honest. Like, his prayer a little, woo, a little heated up. Turn their insults back over their heads and give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Like, get them and get them good, God. Can I tell you? God can handle your frustrated words. Stop spewing it on everybody else and give it to God. You may feel better in the moment, but I want you to know, when you give all your passionate heat to God, he can handle it. He can handle it. But you got to give it to him. God, I'm ticked off with my spouse right now. Instead of spouse, I'm ticked off with you right now. I give it to God. Be willing to, 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 to like yell with Jesus for a little bit. He goes on, don't cover their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. They have thrown insults in the face of the builders. He's basically saying, send them to hell. That's what he said. You ought to read the Bible. But God then refocuses his passion. Okay? So, So here's my hashtag for this. Don't call names, call on God. Hashtag Instead of posting about it, hashtag pray about it. Can you take seven days instead of posting about it? Can you pray about it? Seven days. I I know some of you are still living in the stone age of 2007, and you don't even post. That's God bless you, actually. God bless you. God honor you. For reals. But for those of you that have social media accounts, come on. He wants to sanctify every part of your life, even what you post. 
So he focuses his attention now to the work at hand, not the people trying to oppose him. And I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. You got to know where you're vulnerable in this thing. You got to know where you're vulnerable. What one, what one place in a wall of somebody else, their vulnerability may not be your vulnerability. They, they may be able to not have an issue with that at all, but it is your issue. Know the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. Now, they're not, they're not just building walls. They're, they're, they're fighting now. Those who carried materials did the work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Number six, he has to build and battle at the same time. Do you know how we build and battle at the same time? We build that Christ-like character, conviction, and conduct through prayer. You know how we really battle? We worship. That's how you fight your battles. You worship. The very first battle the Israelites are going to do when they take the promised land. The very first battle they face the biggest city in the land, Jericho. And do you know how they battle? They walk around the walls and they worship. Seven days they worship. On the seventh day, seven times. Then they raise a shout and the walls came down. Part of these closer nights, part of being in church every week, whether online or in the flesh, is we're battling. There are forces of darkness that are real. Some people see, you know, a demon in their blender. Some people think it's all about you. I'm not a demon in the blender kind of guy, and I'm certainly not a it's all about you kind of guy. But I'm telling you, we serve a real God, but we also have a real enemy. And he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's our job to build and battle at the same time. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. Whoa. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes This is a smelly battalion. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. They were prepared. Do not get lazy. Do not lower your guard. Neither I nor my brothers, they modeled persistence and consistency as I wrap it up today. Commitment. I believe you are who you say you are, Lord. That secures your heart into heaven. Commitment gets you to the starting line consistency gets you to the finish line. Persistence helps you run the race. Nehemiah is showing the commitment. He's showing the persistence, and he's showing the consistence. Do you know that the enemy has three major attacks against you? He has tools against you. If, if the devil lived in Crown Colony and was having a garage sale, And he was sitting in the shade, and he had all his tables out there, and he had tools from his garage out there. The devil had tools from his garage. And you show up on a Thursday morning early when it said we start at 8, but you show up at (laughs) 6, like people do. You're already ready for him, baby. You show up at the garage sale. Devil's out there. He's like, yeah, there's some tools here. You may be interested. I got got the the, uh, lust of the flesh. Gets them every time. If you want it, I got it on half price right now. Uh, Pride of life. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, like you can take it all. He said, but, but I got these tools over here. That a lot of people don't think they're very valuable, but these are, the most valu- these are some of the most valuable that I have. And he picks up these two tools that he uses against you, fear 
and discouragement. And if there was ever a time where the, the body of Christ is running in fear and being discouraged, it's right now. It's crazy. It's crazy. Do you know another word for discouragement? Dispiritedness. It's like we don't have the spirit of the living God living in us and guiding us and, and holding us. And I want to remind you what God says about the spirit. I want to remind you that this isn't your battle to battle alone. Isaiah says it like this. Fear not, I'm with you. Do not be dismayed, I'm your God. I'll strengthen you when you don't feel strong. I'll help you when you need help. I will uphold you when you feel like falling down. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm, the psalmist says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. He is drawing close to those that are crushed. I will lead the way, Isaiah 42 says. I'll lead the blind in a way that they don't know in paths that they have not known I will guide them when you don't know the answer when you're not certain that's when he does his best work he says follow me I can see clearly I am the same yesterday today and forever I am the way the truth and the life I am past I am present I am future I am almighty God I am all powerful God I am all knowing God and I will take you where you need to go but you got to trust me I'm going to guide you. He says, I'll turn their darkness before them into light. That's graves into gardens, everybody. The rough places into level ground. And I love what Isaiah says by the spirit of God. He said, yeah, th these are the things I do. Like, this is what I do. I do these things. This is my job description. These are the things I do. And I do not forsake them. And I will not forsake you and I'll do these same things all throughout history. I've been doing them and I will continue to do them. <sighs> but then we come to this wall again and we say, okay, God, but since creation, we've been addicted to taking matters into our own hands. So let me wrap up by showing you this. You know, we talked about Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And they all had to rebuild. They all faced opposition. They all had breakthrough. But do you know what else happened? They all experienced failure. In fact, these three stories in Ezra and Nehemiah, they have an anticlimax. See, Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple, and the next generation that weren't in exile. The next generation, they go up to Zerubbabel and the elders, and they say, we want to worship in the temple. And do you know what they do? They say, no, you can't have part of our temple. And they stiff arm the next generation. God never said that. God never said it. But they wanted to take matters into their own hands. They, you don't understand what we went through. You don't get it, okay? You didn't have to sacrifice like we had to sacrifice. You can't, you can't be a part of this temple. And they fail. Ezra goes and rebuilds the Torah within the community in these smaller groups in the way, the path to God. But there were other Jews that were a part of that city who had fallen short of the glory of God and they begin to marry during this season of captivity. They begin to marry those outside of the faith. And Ezra and the elders take matters into their own hands and they say, nope. You have to divorce all these people if you really want to be a part of this. 
And what happens is in divorce, it's not just irreconcilable difference. In this context, this whole divorcing thing, it caused all kinds of widows and orphans because they were pushed away through this divorce. God never said that. God never said to do that. That wasn't a decree of God. But Ezra, a book of the Bible's named after him. He took matters into his own hands. Nehemiah, after the wall is built in 52 days, you want to talk about a construction project. 52 days they finish. But then Nehemiah takes the same route as Ezra and he starts getting violent with the people of God because they're not taking the Sabbath seriously and on that same wall that we work so hard you don't know what it was like to hold a, a brick trowel in one hand and a sword in the other and he starts taking and he starts getting violent with the people that have set up shop around the walls that are working on the Sabbath but they didn't even know any better because they, they were birthed in exile they didn't know people the church getting upset with sinners acting like sinners unchurched people acting like unchurched people what do you expect from unchurched unchristian people Getting all upset with the state of our culture when we are living in spiritual depravity. Of course people are going to do things that are ungodly. You're just upset and wanting people keeping them out of the kingdom? God never said that. So here's what we've got to do, everybody. Here's what we've got to do. we got to understand the history. And we got to tell a better story. And that's what the whole Word of God is about. Because even though Ezra, Zerubbabel, and Nehemiah, they failed. They were good leaders, but they failed. There was a better Zerubbabel on the way. There was a better Ezra. There was a better Nehemiah, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus, his job is to rebuild. The bridge between us and God that was broken by sin, Jesus rebuilds it. And you know what he does? He rebuilds the temple. But the presence of God isn't going to be in a place. It's not going to be in a community destination. We're passionate about community destinations. But I want you to know, it's not the community destination that houses the presence of the God. The spirit of the living God wants to live inside your heart. And Jesus comes to make access on the cross when he dies. The, the, the veil that separates the holiest part of the temple is ripped open. And now your body is the temple you have access to the presence of God just like the disciples when Jesus was resurrected and he goes into the safe house and he breathes on them he says receive the Holy Spirit now their hearts are the temple Jesus is going to rebuild the Torah the pathway to God and it's not going to be about tablets made of stone it's going to be about our heart to love the Lord our God with all our mind our heart our soul and our strength Say, I'm, I'm going to give you that way. I'm going to guide you and I'm going to lead you. And guess what? You can't accomplish all the Torah. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to fulfill it all. Now you just trust me. I'm going to do it. Now you just grab onto my shirt. And I'm going to guide you. Let's do this together. It's not what you do. It's what I did. It's what I fulfilled. Now trust me. Rest in me. Oh, you want to talk about power and protection. There are no amount of masks that can save you from sin. There's no amount of hazmat suits 
that can keep you from the reality that we all have sinned and fall short. <laughs> so Jesus is going to pay for the ultimate power and protection that you are covered in the blood of the Lamb, that you are saved and cleansed. And then He gives you the Holy Spirit living in you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, guides you, teaches you, comforts you, mediates for you. When you don't know what to pray, the Bible says in Romans, the Holy Spirit prays for you. That's the kind of power and protection. And guess what? When the enemy comes in like a flood, you don't set up a wall. You don't set up a standard. The Spirit sets up a standard against him. It's not about you saying, put up your dukes, devil. I'm going to bind you. Jesus binds the devil through you. You're the vessel. Jesus is the binder. He's the, he's the conqueror. But the good news is you're more than a conqueror because you're a son or a daughter of the true hero of the story. And when we can see that, stop trying to build our own cities, rebuild our own opinions, that's when we have that's when we understand the power of breakthrough. So the question is then, we've been talking about these leadership lessons from Nehemiah. So if Jesus makes a better Nehemiah than we do, who am I in the story? Who, who am I in this story? I know this has been a beast of a sermon. Thank you for being patient, but we're coming to the conclusion. Who am I in the story? Maybe you're the king because you are wanting to be on the throne. You might know about the things of God, but you're not involved in the things of God. You may say, that's good. That's cool. Yeah, do it. Go ahead. Maybe you come to church on occasion, but really you're the, you're the king of your own kingdom. Maybe you're the helpers and, and you, you, you want to do your, your part of the story, but you don't know your next step and you're looking for leadership and, and, and you need to know what to do and, and God wants to guide you. You could be that person in the story, yeah. Maybe you are Nehemiah in a certain degree that God has called you and given you gifts of leadership, gifts to help equip other people. I invite you to be a part of that through Timber Creek. Be a part of that through not holding it to yourself, but being willing, you know, save people, serve people. If you've been sitting the proverbial bench at Timber Creek, I won't put you in. I'm going to put you in first base. Let's go. Let's go. Try it. The spot's yours. You don't even have to try out. We're going we're gonna to help you. We're going to help you. But don't sit the bench. We don't need bench warmers. We need people to take a, a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. We're not living in a day and age that God's looking for bench warmers. He's looking for warriors. He's looking for people that will stand in the gap. Are you the opposition? Are you critical? Do you, do you got it? And I'm going to say it this way, and I'll say it in a real unbiblical way. But you just have a crappy attitude. You're a Christ follower, and you got a crappy attitude. That's, that's opposition. People see that, and they say, if that's Christianity, I don't think I want a part of it. Oh, don't be the opposition. We got enough opposition with the enemy as it, as it is. We don't need the church to help. So who am I? Who am I in this story? 
let me tell you the good news. <laughs> the good news. Guess who you are and who I am? I'm Jerusalem. And my walls have been burned and my streets have rubble. But God sees me in my ruins and disgrace. And he sends the ultimate leader, Jesus, to rebuild. Jesus takes the ashes and he brings beauty. He takes the graves and he makes gardens. He makes all things new and the weeds that have grown up in the temple of your heart. He will do what only he can do and give you a fresh start. Trust him. Trust him. Would you close your eyes, all locations, and pray with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, the truth is you can't can't really know what to do next until you have invited Jesus to be the hero of your life. So maybe in your own words, it's not what I could do or even what I would pray. I'm your tour guide in this. But Jesus would want to invite you to say something like this. Jesus, I surrender to you. Uh, I've got some rubble that I, I can't get around. Some questions I've got that I don't even know if I've been asking the right people, so I, I want to go to you now. I, be the Lord of my life. Be the king on the throne of my heart. Thank you for not being mad at me, but loving me so much that you would hear me, that you would send your son Jesus to die for me and give me access to your throne room. Thank you, God. Now I'm going to declare that I am saved. I am forgiven. I am I am now a child of God, and I'm trusting you, Lord. And for everybody else in the room, maybe that's not your specific prayer, but as you consider the condition of your heart, your walls, your city, you say, Jesus, would you just restore? Would you rebuild? Would you do what only you can do? God, show me areas. Be thorough in your survey of me. Thank you that you care so much. You would ask me good questions. Thank you that you would come with a plan to restore my heart yet again. God, build the walls around my heart, the walls around my eyes, the walls around my mind, the walls around my attitudes and my actions and my emotions. God, I lean into you today, not my own understanding. And I know that you are doing some good work. You're restoring the presence of God in my life. You are giving me the pathway that is straight. I don't know every step, but I know you, our mercies are new every morning and you're gonna give me light to take one step at a time and that you are ultimate power and protection for those that put their trust in you. And we ask it all in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. And everybody said amen.